Hey everybody, welcome to episode 48 of Junior Golf Keys. I'm your host, Matt, and I'm really excited that you guys tuned in this week, and I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for tuning in every week. I uh, appreciate you, know, you guys following us on social media and sharing information about you know, what you like about the episodes and what you don't like. Uh, if you hadn't had a chance to leave a review yet, uh, I would really ask that you go over to the podcast platform that you listen to, leave a review. Uh, preferably with comments so that I can continue to learn a little bit more about you know what you guys like about the episodes and what I can do to focus on bringing you guys more value every week as I seek out new guests and um, you know always encourage the engagement on social media you can email me at juniorgolfkeys at gmail.com ironically that's how I met our guest this week retired Lieutenant Colonel Brian Price uh, who's also got his PhD from Stanford Uh, I got an email from a listener who was a former teammate of Brian's um, in baseball, and he reached out to me and said, hey, I've got a guy that I think you might be interested in talking to. Brian founded Top Mental Game, which is a uh, company that helps athletes develop their mental game and learn more about what it means to be mentally tough. Uh, and really develop and, and execute in that side of the game. So you've, you know, you've got the physical game and the physical training, and then you've got the mental game, which we've definitely talked about quite a bit on uh, this podcast and you know, some different conversations with various guests um, at different levels. But you know, this one is dedicated specifically to the mental game. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into you know, some of those topics. So Brian's definitely going to give us a rundown of what his background looks like, but there are probably a couple things that he's going to leave out uh, just because, you know, he's a humble guy and, uh, you know, he definitely wanted to give us some of his information about his background, but, uh, you know, left out some highlights, some details that, you know, I think are important because he's achieved some things at a pretty high level. So uh, Brian was going to hear him talk about, you know, he was a three sport athlete, football, basketball, baseball. Uh, He was inducted into his high school hall of fame in 2013. Uh, He then after high school went on to play baseball Uh, at West Point where he led the Army baseball team in its first ever Patriot League championship uh, where he was the tournament MVP and he was Division I All-Northeast honors um, in that process. So uh, some pretty high achievements there. He was a three-year starter at second base at West Point and a three-time All-Patriot League uh, member of their first team there. Uh, He was a captain on the team and broke a lot of records. including runs scored in a season and in a career, uh, hits in a season, consecutive games played, and in 1999, he was named to the Patriot League's All-Decade Team, uh, which spanned from 1990 to 2000. So some big accomplishments there in the baseball world for Brian. And um, after that, he was commissioned as an aviation officer in the Army. Uh, He was an attack helicopter pilot. He's going to talk about some of this and go into some more detail around um, you know his, his time in the military and you know how he uh, served, uh, which I really appreciate you know the time that he spent in defending our country and um, just the dedication to you know what he's done for our country and you know what he continues to do 
to develop leaders. Um, he's going to talk about you know the leadership institute that he's involved in. Um, he's a counterterrorism expert, um, along with like I said, being an attack helicopter pilot. So just a lot of really good experience uh, that you would need to be able to pull together and train and coach and be effective uh, in the mental game with athletes. So I was really happy to get connected with Brian and super excited that I had the opportunity to bring him on and have a conversation with him uh, just around what he does and some of his beliefs around um, you know, goal setting and self-talk and mental toughness and what it means to be mentally fit. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit too about um, you know, the correlation between physical training and, you know, how the muscles break down and tear down and how the brain essentially, you know, being a muscle, um, how you can break the mind down and train the mind and strengthen it. Um, so I'm really excited about this one. We're going to talk about, uh, preparation and how that impacts the mental game. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, different aspects of the golf game that, you know, can improve your mental, like what it means to have a solid short game and what that does to your mental pressure uh, as it relates to your tee to green game. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, rehearsing routines and how that can have an impact. And uh, I'm not going to talk as much about course management, but, you know, let's talk a little bit about that in there as well. So I think you guys are going to take away a ton of value from this episode. Super appreciative of Brian for his time and his expertise. Uh, before we get into the chat with Brian, though, I do want to talk to you about my partner, Golf Kicks. Um, if you guys have been listening to the show, you know that uh, I work with Golf Kicks. Golf Kicks is an aftermarket spike that you can put on virtually any pair of tennis shoes uh, with a decent rubber sole. And it gives you the opportunity to take the you know, flavor and you know, fashion of your kick game off the course and bring it on the course and have a more functional golf shoe that also has the comfort of a regular tennis shoe. So I'm a big fan. Um, I'm a big uh, believer in this product. I use it myself and um, you know, I've had a lot of really good experience using golf kicks. So uh, thankful that they've been able to partner with us and they've been able to bring you as an audience some advantages because of that. Um, if you head over to their website, which is golfkicks.com, and you use the code JGK20, like Junior Golf Keys, JGK20, uh, they'll give you 20% off your order. So uh, I would encourage you to do that. Head over to golfkicks.com, use the code JGK20, and uh, get your 20% off your order today. Uh, you guys sit tight. I'll be right back with my interview with retired Lieutenant Colonel Brian Price. All right, everybody, welcome back to this week's episode of Junior Golf Keys. With me today is retired Lieutenant Colonel Brian Price, who also has got his PhD from Stanford. He's joined us today to talk about the mental game. Brian, how are you, sir? Matt, doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I appreciate you joining. Um, you've got a very unique and interesting background, and uh, you know we've had an opportunity to connect, and I'm really looking forward to this talk because I think that the mental game is huge. I mean, for all of us really in the game of life, but, you know, we, you know, really drill down into the game of golf and, you know, other athletics. I think the mental game is just a huge piece of it. So I'm looking forward to uh, you sharing some of your expertise. Now, likewise, like you said, you know, I think um, some of the stuff we'll talk today is uh, pertinent to the game of golf, but it's certainly pertinent to performance in all walks of our, of our lives. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, just for context, uh, talk, talking a little bit about your background, could you just give the audience um, just a peek into who you are and kind of what your path has been so far, just high level that's led you to this point and in terms of uh, starting top mental game? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So uh, kind of uh, uh, raised as a, a three sport athlete here at the Jersey Shore. No jokes um, in, uh, <laughs> in New Jersey. Uh, played football, basketball, and baseball. Um, never played golf competitively, uh, but obviously loved to play it um, as a hobby. Uh, went to West Point, um, played baseball there for four years, was a co-captain on the team. And then I went into the military for 20 years. Uh, the first half of my career, I flew attack helicopters, uh, the Apache Longbow. Uh, had experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan. And then the Army sent me to Stanford University to get a Ph.D. in political science Spent the second half of my career teaching mostly at West Point uh, in the Department of Social Sciences and running a place called the Combating Terrorism Center. And while there, I was an assistant coach on the baseball team and worked with uh, athletes also on top of that uh, with our partners at the they had a place there called the Center for Enhanced Performance, which was a bunch of sports psychologists that worked with Army's Division One athletes and teams on the mental game. And that's where you know, both as a player, but also as a coach, kind of fell in love with that aspect. Retired from the military as lieutenant colonel in 2018. Uh, I run a leadership institute out of Seton Hall University right now. But in 2019, I started a, a, my own business called Top Mental Game, working with athletes, mostly at the high school and, and, and college level. Um, and so in specifically as it pertains to golf, um, my, most of my clients have been golfers and my first ever division one team was the Seton Hall women's golf team. And so, uh, that's where I've really kind of cut my teeth as to what it really takes to help golfers out in the mental game. Yeah. Um, such a huge piece of the game. Can you, what, what is the mental game? Can you just describe kind of in your own terms, you know, what is the mental game? Sure. So it's funny because every time I get asked that question, I think of if you've ever seen that clip of Bobby Knight talking about uh, what is a game face and he yeah. makes all these contorted faces. <laughs> um, yep. And so that is definitely not what the mental game is about. <laughs> um, look, you know, I think the mental game, no matter if you're talking about golf or other sports, it essentially boils down to mental toughness. And my definition for mental toughness is, you know, do you have the knowledge, the ability and the discipline to play at your best? regardless of the circumstances. And, you know, there's a, a number of kind of subtopics that feed into this that I work with all my athletes on. Uh, things like goal setting, your self-talk, uh, the power of visualization and imagery, how to be resilient, uh, focus and energy management, how to get present. And essentially, like, you know, it's, it sounds cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. Um, controlling the controllables. Like, what does that mean? And so those are all topics that I hope we can kind of like at least nibble around the edges uh, during this talk. Yeah, I mean, there's so much to unpack there, but I think that, you know, this audience, I mean, they've had the, the opportunity to listen to, you know, some different high-level players that talk and describe, you know, kind of the way that they approach the game and while they're out there, um, you know, the things that they're thinking about, their self-talk, how they visualize, you know, those types of things. Um, you know, some, some high-level professional players that have also uh, been on to talk about those types of things as well. So, yeah, I think dib digging in a little bit uh, more with the details is going to be a huge benefit to this group. So, um, 
kind of with that description of, you know, the mental game or mental toughness, uh, why is it so important to be mentally fit as an athlete? Yeah. So I think what's funny is when I, when I work with athletes, um, I think if you are the biggest, baddest athlete, if you're the best golfer in high school and maybe even at the collegiate level, you somehow sometimes think, well, you know, I'm, I'm already very talented. So why, what would the mental game do for me? And what's interesting, what kind of kind of shuts down that argument is when you look at the tour and you look at the most successful athletes and the most successful golfers, almost every one of those is, has a mental skills coach or a sports psychologist or works in their mental game in some capacity. And this yeah. isn't, doesn't just hold true for golf, as you know. If you look at the greatest of all time in any sport, uh, you know, Michael Phelps in swimming, um, Russell Wilson in football, uh, the U.S. women's national soccer team. You know, I just did an interview with Julie Foudy recently. And so like mm. the mental game is, is crucial in, in all of those areas. Um, and so one of the phrases that I like to throw out is you don't have to be sick to get better. You know, um, mm. and the mental game is one of those few things, Matt, where I may not be able to walk out onto the course and play like Tiger or Phil. But, you know, you, I can certainly learn to think like them. And, yeah. and this is a, an area where. Um, and, and what I've shown with my golfers is, you know, if, if you work on your mental game, I can't guarantee you that you're going to, you know, I'm going to reduce your handicap by two or three or, you know, whatever it is. But what I can guarantee you is that you're going to have the tools in your tool bag in order to be more resilient and a better, uh, more resilient golfer. Because as you know, golf is a game where it's not, you know, if you're going to fail, sometimes it's, it's when that happens and who recovers fastest is usually um, you know, has an advantage over their competition. Yeah, for sure. And it's one of those games that, you know, I've talked about this with some different high level players is, you know, you're, you're out there spending four, arguably five hours in your own head uh, by yourself um, playing the game and you're hitting good shots and you're hitting bad shots. And it's, you know, how are you managing those emotions throughout a round. Um, so, I mean, how do you train to be more mentally tough or more resilient um, as a golfer? Sure. Um, and it's funny because uh, <laughs> we talk about people spending four to five hours uh, with themselves in their own head. Some people don't like that place. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, uh, and, and you can, you know, people talk about hearing voices and stuff. Um, but this is where, you know, the, the topic of kind of self-talk, I think, really comes into play. Um, we, we all know if you're an athlete, you know the importance of communication in sports, whether that's communicating with your coach, communicating with your teammates. Obviously, in golf, it's, it's, a, it's a solitary game. But the person that you communicate the most with is yourself. And I think that as, as humans, we're kind of hardwired to be uh, a little negative on ourselves and um, for reasons of like evolutionary survival, we are a little bit paranoid of threats. And, mm. you know, uh, particularly when mistakes start happening, we start kind of feeling that fight or flight response. And so one of the ways to um, work on your mental game is to get very intentional about what are those conversations that you're having with yourself. I'll give you one kind of exercise that I do with all my athletes, which might be uh, of value to some of your audience is I ask my athlete, uh, you know, golfers, I'll say, you know, okay, just take a typical round, you know, uh, particularly around in competition. And what are those 
two or three things that you consistently find yourself saying to yourself that are really negative? Like what are the really worst things that you say to yourself? And these are things that you may not say out loud, Matt. Like these are, sure. you, know, you know, things that you are kind of having that internal dialogue with yourself, but we all do it. And I yep. guess your audience out there can think of the two or three things that they say to themselves. That could be, you know, oh my God, you all, you know, I, I always three putt, you know, so I, I'm not, I don't want to three putt here. It could be um, if you, if you play, you know, for a, a collegiate team, you know, man, I always let my team down in big situations, well, whatever it is. Sure. And I have the athlete write actually those down on paper. And I, I like doing this in a team setting, but when I'm doing it in a one-on-one setting, I'll have the athlete actually read to me what those three things are, but they, I want them to tell me. So they're not saying, you know, it in the first person, they're reaching across the table and saying, Brian, you always stink in big moments. Okay. When you do that to somebody that particularly that you don't know, or it's even more powerful if it's a teammate or a coach, you feel something and it feels bad. And I say, well, that feeling that you're having, why is that? And they're like, well, I, I would, I wouldn't want to tell someone this. And I say, mm-hmm. well, that's the point, right? Like, well, think, <laughs> yeah. about, think about how many hundreds of thousands of times you've probably said that that's just yourself on the course. And, and the, the so what of all this, Matt, is do you think that's helping or hurting your play? And the answer oh. is obvious. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hurting. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a really good example and illustration of, of how somebody can really understand more about how that's impacting them for sure. I was listening to, I can't remember who, I wish I could remember who it was. It was sometime this week and somebody was talking about Tiger and they said that one of the things they've played a lot of golf with Tiger. And one of the things that's always impressed them about him is there's a separator between getting, you know, getting mad and having frustration, you know, over a bad shot and then being negative. And he said, the one thing that they can say about playing with tiger is he's, he definitely gets frustrated at himself and he'll get mad at himself, but he never gets negative towards himself. So, so crucial. I, you know, I think when some people hear the, particularly my, my male clients, you know, when they hear about the mental game, they think it's all this kind of foo foo touchy feely. You have to be positive and Pollyannish all the time. And the world is, you know, uh, rainbows and unicorns. Sure. And, uh, you know, that, that's not the case. Uh, what the, the critical component is to be understanding uh, that you can't go negative. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's interesting. And this is a different context. But when I talk to Julie Foudy, who I imagine many of your viewers will know, I mean, she's a you know, one of the greatest soccer players of all time, U.S. team captain forever and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, multiple World Cup championships. You know, she had an interesting phrase um, where she called uh, her mental skills coach, Colleen Hacker, that worked with the U.S. women's national team, talked about um, it's okay to, like, recognize those moments when you're really frustrated. But her terminology was, but you have to be able to park it. And so, you know, when you, when you make a mistake, and one of the things I work on with all of my athletes is a thing called the mistake ritual, which helps you kind of both psychologically um, park something. And yeah. that's when, you know, say you, you, you three putt on a hole and man, you're frustrated because, you know, either you had a bad read or you shanked it or you pulled it, whatever it is. You know, one of the things I have my athletes do from a psychological perspective is like, okay, recognize that that's you know, not what you want to do and you can be frustrated about it, but then have some type of um, mistake ritual 
for you to hit your proverbial reset button. And sure. I usually ask my athletes to either have a physical like act that, you know, they can do for some athletes that might be taking off their visor or, you know, um, you know, a, a adjusting their, their glove, whatever it is, uh, have a reset phrase, which, you know, should tell you to, to, to reset. That's, that could be next shot for some athletes. It could be, uh, uh, you know, let's go and then have right. some type of cleansing breath. And the key to all this stuff is you got to do this stuff. You know, it's called mental skills conditioning. It's not, um, you know, you don't just show up on the course in, in, in the masters and then think you're going to put these tools into play. You have to put them into practice, you know, during practice. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because I can't remember who it was that I was talking to. Um, it was either, I think it was either Heather Wall. She's the head coach at Nova Southeastern, mm -hmm. um, or it might have been Michelle Holmes, uh, who owns um, Michelle Holmes School of Golf. But they were talking about when they played competitively, um, that when when they would, you know, they allow themselves to be frustrated, but their cue was uh, their bag straps. You know, when they carried their bags, so it was like. Mm -hmm. When that, when that, you're allowed to react to your shot after you hit it, but as soon as you picked your bag up, that strap hit your shoulder, boom, it's done. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, as you get up there, uh, you know, approaching a shot, you're walking up to your ball and getting ready to, uh, you know, get ready to hit the shot. As soon as that bag leaves your shoulder, now you're, you're fully focused on what you're trying to accomplish right now in the zone of executing that shot. A hundred percent, you know, and something like that, that is the physical act that I was talking before about is yeah. that kind of mental trigger for you to kind of, you know, put it in your past. Um, and all this stuff that we're talking about is our ways, I think, in order to, to get present. And I think that that topic, you know, some people are like, what do you mean get present? What does that mean? Um, and what I normally find with a lot of my golfers, and I bet you that a lot of your audience can um, relate to this is that, you know, when you play golf and you have a bad hole, um, where, you know, let's say you double or triple bogey that hole, oftentimes golfers will be stuck in the past or they'll be living in the future. And what I mean by that is they will be either, you know, kicking themselves and wearing that baggage, like you talked about of that bad hole and thinking back and replaying in their head, you know, man, that approach shot stunk. Then I three putted, you know, like just reliving those previous shots again, or right. what they often will do, you know, is they will start focused on the future and say, man, I double bogey that hole. That means, you know, in the next three holes, I got to get those two strokes back. And yeah. you put that added pressure on yourself, but you know, better than anybody. And as your audience does hitting a golf ball is difficult. <laughs> and so, For sure. you know, it doesn't, it does not, um, you don't improve your chances of hitting a good shot by putting your cognitive energy and focus elsewhere other than in that moment, in your shoes, hitting the golf shot that's right in front of you. And that, it, that is a skill. And how do you, you can get present. That's a skill that you can learn over time. Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny. So we had an opportunity to talk obviously before this and I was sharing with you um, some of the physical training that I was doing and how I felt like it was pushing me to a, a different level of, mental toughness or just the ability to um, control my discipline in the moment and stay in the present essentially um, out there on the golf course. And, you know, I think one of the things that a lot of coaches always preach to golfers, um, you know, when they're teaching them about course management and those types of things is, you know, just focus on hitting one shot at a time. And, 
you know, if you can truly go around the golf course and you're only focused on hitting the one shot that's in front of you, um, you'll have some really, really strong rounds um, because you're not, to your point, living in the past, uh, looking forward towards the future too much. Um, but you said something really interesting, in, interesting to me when we talked the other day about, you know, just think of it as, you know, when you're, when you're lifting and working out physically, you know, you're tearing your muscles, you're breaking them down, you're building them back up. And you said, you know, the brain is a muscle and, you know, acts in the same way. So can you just talk a little bit about that and kind of the correlation between physical training and how it can maybe push you uh, to a different mental level and just the whole correlation between the muscles and the brain? Yeah, sure. hundred percent. I mean, like, all of your golfers out there, you know, understand how to become physically more fit, right? You know, we all have like, there's, there's personal trainers, there's strength coaches, there's agility coaches. And so, you know, and the science behind it is not, you know, super complex. The way we get stronger physically is by, you know, first putting resistance against those muscles um, and making them work to a point where they fatigue. And when they fatigue, those muscle fibers actually break mm-hmm. apart, right, um, at, at a micro level. And so with proper rest, nutrition, recovery, you know, those sorts of things, well, your mu- those same muscle fibers are will grow back stronger than they were before that resistance training. And so when you do that repetitively, you get bigger and stronger over time. Well, you know, I, I like to argue that um, the, the, the brain yeah. is a muscle, right? And, and, and your mental fitness is a muscle that you can train over time. Um, but what you have to do is you have to kind of use that same type of logic. And, you know, I think the, the best anecdote for this is kind of like how the Navy SEALs operate. You know, I was a conventional uh, Army guy, so I was never in the, in the Special Forces. But, you know, I, I have worked a lot with SEALs, you know, both downrange but, and also in my capacity as sure. a combat terrorism director. And so, you know, these folks, it's called like stress inoculation, right? You know, and, and for you athletes out there, uh, you don't just go out and start, you know, maxing off of the bench right. as you get into the gym. No, you, you build it over time and that over time it'll become, uh, you know, if you are disciplined with it, which I think you have to be just as disciplined with your mental, uh, with your mental game as you are with your, with your physical game, you can become stronger over time. And what stronger means from a mental game and a mental fitness perspective is the ability uh, to, you know, be focused when other players may not be focused, the ability to get present after a mistake while others might be catastrophically collapsing because of, yeah. of the holes. And so, you know, that, that's the kind of the, the, the metaphor and the analogy that I use for, uh, you know, physical yeah, and, and, mental. and you've got to be intentional about it right in that training. hundred percent. Um, one of the, I think the greatest gifts that I, I think I give to, to golfers and, and I think this, you get worse with this with age, uh, but I definitely find this with my high school and my, and my college athletes is oftentimes, you know, life, uh, we, we let it happen to us as opposed to being intentional about how we're spending our time. And you mentioned this the other day with your, you know, with, with your physical program. Um, all too often, we just kind of get in this rut and we go through life without, you know, doing a serious audit about, hmm. You know, how often am, am right. I on social media? Um, you know, who is in my social media sure. feed? Those sorts of things. Uh, as opposed to, wait, you know, I have two hours to kill here. 
you know, I can, you know, imagine if you worked on your mental game for at least a half hour a day, as opposed to what most athletes yeah. do, which is zero. Here's, here's an interesting question that I pose all my athletes and I'll pose to your audience, which is how much of the, of success in golf do you think is determined by the mental game? And when I throw this number out to teams and athletes, it doesn't matter what sport, but it's usually yeah. pretty high in golf. You know, I'll get some athletes to say, man, it's, you know, I don't know, 60%, 80%, 90%. And you realize as a high level golfer, Matt, like the higher you go, everybody's skilled, big, fast, sure. strong, you know, a highly talented w- with their clubs, but it's the mental game that kind of separates it. And so when I get these high percentages, my second follow-up question to my athletes is, okay, well, how much of your time do you dedicate, how much of your practice time do you dedicate Mm -hmm. to your mental game? And the uniform consensus is zero. And I'm trying to help change that. Yeah, that's a a really uh, great way to look at it. I've talked about that a little bit from the technical side of the golf game on here as it relates to the short game versus the rest of the game. Um, You know, it's really fun to go out there and bang drivers all day long, but the reality is a majority of your shots take place from, you know, 125 yards and in, but majority of golfers uh, don't really spend a lot of time working on the short game. So uh, very similar analogy, you know, obviously we're talking about mental here versus, you know, the different types of the game, but I kind of do want to bridge that gap into that area because, um, you know, one of the things that I've talked to some high level players about that I think is just a really good approach to uh, how they approach the game, you know, they really focus hard on working on their short game. And then what that does to them, I guess I want to get into the topic of how can we relieve mental pressure by working on our short game. Um, and I can expand on that a little bit uh, if, you, if you want me to, but basically saying that, you know, I believe and some of these high level players that I've talked to believe that, you know, the sharper that their short game is, the less pressure they have standing over an approach shot because they know if they miss, they're going to get mm-hmm. up and down. Um, so can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So one of the kind of constructs that I, I work with my athletes on is the relationship between thoughts, feelings, actions, and results. And so I think this helps kind of perfectly answer what, what, you're, what you're addressing here. And so we all have inherent thoughts about our game. Um, and again, these sometimes these aren't necessarily uh, articulated out loud. They are kind of our own inherent beliefs that we have that we may not even have told anybody. And so let's say one of those examples is um, – uh, you have an inherent belief that you're not a good putter in pressure situations. Okay. Let's take that as kind of like the, okay. the, the baseline here. And so when you then are put onto the green in a pressure situation, when you putt, um, if you have that inherent belief, that's going to create feelings inside you, right? That's going to create anxiety. And what happens when we're anxious, you know, our blood flow reduces, our pulse uh, rate increases, um, some athletes might experience something like a, a form of tunnel vision. And then those, those feelings are then going to produce some actions. And, you know, feeling tight and anxious and hesitant is not a great recipe for making a, right. an awesome putt, right? And so that action will lead to you shanking the putt, a pulled putt, a push putt, whatever it is. And ultimately, the result is a three putt. 
And so what a lot of athletes will do, and I bet you a lot of your audience members have done, and I used to do this myself, is you think that the answer to that problem of your putting problem is more putting or going to, you know, a putting coach and, you know, spending, you know, X amount of hours on the green trying to improve your technical putting skills. Well, that is, you know, I'm not saying that that is money not well spent because it'll improve muscle memory and all those sorts of things. But what I'm here to tell you is that when you are the, that golfer and then you go, even if you've had that three hours of putting practice with a, with a professional and you go be put into that same situation again and you haven't done any work on your, on your inherent belief, on your, on your mental game, well, then there's going to be no change to your thoughts and your feelings, which are going to produce similar actions and results if you haven't worked on your mental oh, yeah. game. Does 100%. that make sense? For sure. And so, you know, what often happens is, you know, athletes get very frustrated because they say, you know, man, I just spent X amount of dollars and hours on my putting and yet I'm not getting the results that I wanted. And I'm, I'm here to like hit the pump, the brakes and say, yes, you know, going to see professionals about your technical game is important, but you also have to work on your subconscious and you also have to work on, on those inherent beliefs so that when you get put into that situation again, you don't have, you have different thoughts which are going to lead to different feelings. And hopefully those thoughts are, you know, I'm a skilled putter and I've, I've worked hard on this and I, I do come through in the clutch, which are going to lead to feelings of confidence. And, you know, when, when you're, I think we all play better when we're loose, focused and confident, and then you're going to see yeah, better. For sure. Yeah. Goals. I remember a specific example. I spent some time at IMG Academy and there's a girl um, who's actually playing at Oregon now, but when she was at the Academy and she was one of the top players there, Uh, she was really struggling with her putting and her coach said that, you know, you're, you're really making a good stroke at this thing. And, but she had just lost a lot of confidence with her putting because she wasn't making a lot of putts. So he brought her inside and, and put her on the Sam putt lab so that he could show her the technical numbers to her putting stroke, which were almost flawless. Mm -hmm. And he said, what Mm -hmm. we need to work on is, your visualization and your green reading um, because that was where she was lacking. So I know you mentioned visual visualization as you were kind of going through some of the descriptors of, you know, mental toughness and the mental game. Um, how does that play a factor in the game of golf? Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, you know, visualization and imagery exercises um, can actually be almost as good as repetitions. Um, and what it does for you is it, it, it kind of helps reshape those inherent beliefs that we, I was talking earlier about. Um, and it works at the subconscious level, which is very powerful. Um, and so when you are in the, the situation for real, if you haven't done any work on your mental game, all of those same fight or flight responses that I mentioned earlier are going to pop up. Whereas if you are able to visualize um, and do some imagery exercises about those big moments and what it would actually feel like and utilizing all of your senses, not just, you know, seeing yourself, but, you know, what does the ground feel like, you know, below your golf cleats? What is uh, what's the weather like? What is uh, what do you see and hear in the crowd? And so that will when you are in that situation again, because you've done those mental reps, it'll be more familiar. And you will not feel those feelings of anxiety like yeah. you normally would. Um, uh, there's a, uh, so I, I, I'm kind of a, a nerd when it comes to uh, listening to great podcasts. And obviously this is one. 
Um, there's another one called Finding Mastery uh, by Michael Gervais, who's the mental skills coach okay. for the Seattle Seahawks. He was interviewing Missy Franklin, who was a world-class swimmer. Um, and it, um, maybe I'll, I'll send you the link you can yeah. share with your, with your viewers because I think it's well worth, uh, even if, you know, not, even if you're not a swimmer, I think it's, I, I share it with all of my sure. athletes regardless of sport. And she talks about the power of visualization imagery that um, she did prior to the Olympic Games where she set a world record in the backstroke. And she has this great quote where she says she walks out onto the pool deck for the finals in the 200-meter back. And she looks around at her competition, and the competition is looking at, you know, all nervous and terrified and anxious because that was their first time experiencing this. And she said, but – for me, since I had done all this visualization imagery exercises, she goes, I felt like it was my 50th time, yeah. even though it really was her, her first time, you know? And, and so it's just that building that familiarity um, and that internal confidence that when you get put in that situation, yeah. you can perform. Um, so, wow. Yeah, yeah. That, it's, it's super powerful. I've got a couple uh, small things that I wanted to touch on. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with this study or not. I'm sure you are, but there was a study and I think it was done in basketball uh, where they took some different samples of people. And I think it was as, as it related to free throws. And so a certain segment of the group was to, uh, you know, practice shooting the free throws by physically standing on the free throw line and shooting the free throws. The other ones were to stand there and actually visualize making the shot. Uh, and I think the thir third segment maybe did a combination of the two and, it was, it was even, it was staggering to me that the, the ones that visualized were at, if not higher um, in terms of execution, when it actually came to shooting the shots and performing than the ones that actually stood there and practiced by shooting the basketball. hundred uh, percent. I, I think, you know, the, the one thing that I would drive home with your audience is this stuff is a performance enhancement yeah. tool, <laughs> Right. Um, and so, and, and for those that are still, that might be skeptical. And again, I was a, a super skeptic when I first started. Um, but like our mind sometimes has difficult uh, differentiating fantasy from reality. And you might go, well, what does that mean? And this is why visualization mm -hmm. imagery work like that um, is because, so if I asked you, uh, Matt, have you ever been woken up from a nightmare where, you know, you are being chased by somebody or pushed off a building and you wake up in a cold sweat and your heart is racing and you're like, yeah, you're freaked out, right? At yep. woken up out of, a, out of a nightmare. And yet the reality, the reality is you're in your bed, you're in your com the comfy right. confines of your own bed. Um, and so that's one example. Another example I give my athletes is uh, if you've ever watched a scary movie, you know, a horror movie where you're sitting there eating your popcorn on your couch and yet the hair in the back yeah. of your neck is standing up. You find yourself like scrunching and, and tightening your grip. If you're there with a you know boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, it's like, well, it, it operates under the same, you know, um, the, the same premises, uh, but it is a performance enhancement. Yeah. I've heard, um, I've heard, I've heard Connor McGregor talk a lot about this actually. Um, he's yeah. huge in visualization. And, and I think, you know, you were talking about swimming, but, I think he he's done this, I think, with every fight that he's ever been in. And he'll, he's talked about it before. I think he, I've listened to him talk, I think, with Tony Robbins about it before. And 
He's like, I know what I'm going to do before I even walk in there. I, I, I've played this fight out in my head, um, you know, to push aside some of the, you know, off the mat stuff that he's had and just strictly focus on, you know, the fighting sure. piece and, you know, that whole mental thing. But, you know, he came from nothing and he said, you know, he used to drive around in Ireland and he'd be at a stoplight in, you know, his old beat up car and he'd imagine that he was sitting there in his brand new Ferrari. And um, just pretty yeah. wild. I mean, he's obviously had a lot of success out there as a fighter. Um, and I think he credits a lot of that to just his ability uh, to be mentally tough and be able to visualize what the outcomes are going to be. There, there's a great – so I think it was when he fought Aldo and dropped right. him in 13 seconds. And you look at his pre-fight interviews – and then the more telling thing is they had the camera on him in the locker room prior mm-hmm. to that fight. And he is, you know, everyone shadow boxes and stuff like that, but he's specifically working on this one technique where he kind of ducks out of the way and then, you know, uh, right. counterattacks. And honestly, it's like a mirror image yep. of what happened in that fight. And you can say, oh, well, you know, he might've got lucky. And, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that are, don't like, as you mentioned, how brash sure. he is as an athlete. But, you know, with when I talk to my athletes, and I, again, I used this phrase earlier, but I'll, I'll repeat it again, is like, you know, when do you play at your best? And, you know, do you play, do we play at our best when we are nervous, hesitant, p- holding back, you know, thinking, worrying about things? Or do we play our best when we're loose, when we're focused, yeah. and when we're confident? And the best example of this is, you know, I ask my athletes, whatever sport you're talking about, golf included, and someone has like a monumental career day and they come off the course, you know, and, and the, the golf commentator will stick the microphone <laughs> in their face and they'll say like, you know, uh, w- w- what were you thinking out there? Like in this, you just, you just set the course record, you know, personal best, all this stuff. And what were you thinking out there? Their normal response is usually nothing. I wasn't thinking <laughs> yeah. about anything. I was just, right. I was just playing. Right. Like they were just playing. You've never heard a golfer come off the course and say, yeah, you know, what was the turning point for me is when, you know, I three putted on eight and I, I, I wanted to crack my putter <laughs> over my knee. And, you know, and I constantly was worrying about, you know, picking up those two strokes in the next back nine. Like, no, you've right. never heard anybody say like that. So, you know, uh, whether it's and I do believe confidence is a performance enhancement tool. And there is, there are ways that you can kind of build your confidence. Visualization imagery. Yeah. Is it's one a of funny game. I mean, you talk about just playing free and, you know, almost, yeah, just carefree. Really. Um, I remember this goes back qu- quite a while for young, some of the young listeners, <laughs> but um, I think it was like maybe 2003. Uh, I was playing in the junior PGA qualifier. I was playing in the state. I had, I had won this local qualifier, uh, a 58 to, to the state. Um, no, wow. no, I'm not at all. I'm not at all because I'm now getting ready to just tell now. you an astronomical number. Um, <laughs> so I go to this, I go to the state qualifier and I think I shot like 80 the first day. And then I shoot 86, uh, in the second round of the state qualifier. And I drove an hour, uh, to go play the first round of another tournament in the afternoon. And I shot 68 in the afternoon. So I shot 86 in the morning. I shot 68 in the afternoon, which wow. It's just, that's a mind blowing thing 
to me, I mean, you're talking about what is that 18 shots difference? Um, I mean, that's crazy. So obviously, and I mean, you're the expert in this area, but obviously there's something going on, you know, as I'm driving over there and I get up, get to the new course and I just go out there and play and just have fun. And, you know, I'm more relaxed and more carefree. Totally, totally. Um, I, I, I always tell people, uh, you have a choice. And this yeah. goes back to our conversation about being intentional, you know, beforehand. Um, no matter what happens to you on the golf course or what happens to you in life, you have a choice. You may not necessarily always have, uh, you know, a say in what happens to you, but yeah. you have the ability to, you know, make a choice. And um, I'll give you um, two quick golfing anecdotes uh, that I think might um, resonate with your, with your audience. So it, with my college team, there was a golfer who uh, super, super highly talented, um, uh, one of the best golfers on the team and uh, uh, has played mm-hmm. in the U.S. amateur before, just a top-notch golfer. And so she is before a tournament and she goes and she um, just before the officials blow the whistle for her to go to her tee time, she's on the range mm. and uh, her driver snaps in half. And so, you know, she went out and she yeah. played, um, I will tell you, and she will tell you, she did not play her best and, you know, for understandable reasons, right? Like I think any, any of us would be a little skittish if you're entering top competition right. and you're, you know, your trusty driver is in two pieces. Um, and, and, and she did not have time to like, you know, go, go get another one and all this stuff. So b- bottom line is afterwards when we were, were debriefing the round, you know, she wanted to largely focus on that incident. Yeah. And I said, you know, this is one of those control the controllables moments where I said, you know what? It really is unfair that you didn't have your driver. You know, um, and it, it, it is unfair that the other, you know, your competitors had had all their clubs and you didn't. But I said, you know, 30 years from now, when you go to, when people take a look at back at that at your scorecard, it's not going to have an asterisk <laughs> right. there that says, oh, by the way, she played yep. without her her driver. It's just going to have your score there. And so if, if it's just going to have your score there, then why not have the mentality of like seeking that challenge of, Okay. Yeah. I'm behind the no eight kidding. ball, but w- isn't this going to be one right. hell of a story? You know, when I when I go out there and crush it. And so, you know, I work with my athletes all the time in terms yep. of those little tips and techniques on on how to control mm-hmm. the controllables. I'll, I'll give you another example in terms of choice and intentionality. Uh, another golfer uh, on the team. So they were playing in a tournament in Delaware, and um, Northeast golf. I don't know how it is uh, mostly in the Southeast, just because you guys have nicer weather. Um, like a three-day tournament might be you play 36 on, on, you know, a Saturday and 18 on a Sunday. And so uh, this, the team went out and they played their 36. They played pretty well. Um, and I, I texted with each of my golfers that night to kind of see how they were feeling. And so um, uh, the first one wrote back and said, you know what, I think uh, I feel pretty good. But you know what, tomorrow they're calling for really bad weather. And this was in the end of the fall. So right. we're talking – you know, fall, wind, rain, cold in the Northeast, like not your ideal conditions for playing golf. And so it's funny because uh, of the six golfers on the team, five, when I wrote them, had commented on this issue of, of bad weather. And so it came to the sixth golfer and I wrote, said, how are you feeling tomorrow? And she goes, 
Oh, I forgot. I forgot to add this too. Because oh, of the bad weather to, that, that next day, they were going to bump yeah. up all the tee times. So like the first tee time was going out at like six thirty. So you just play thirty six holes. You want to get a good night's sleep, and now you find out that your sleep is going to be reduced even more because you got to go out on the, on the course early. And so this one golfer writes back, and she's like, <laughs> "I can't wait to play tomorrow." Yeah. She goes, "I play my best in that bad weather." She goes, "I I play my best in that in those conditions." And it was so funny, Matt, because I talked, I, I showed my wife, and I was like, well, "This would be interesting to see what happens tomorrow." And wouldn't you know, sure. it, that golfer was six strokes better than the rest of her team, and she is not, you know, she's she's awesome, but she's like on average, not six strokes better than the rest of her team. And I really felt like that was a moment where she had a choice about how she viewed the next day. And she chose to put positive and confidence into it. And so she made the choice of like, no, I, yeah. I, she's conditioned herself that she plays the best in those conditions. And I think, you know, for, for golfers, you know, all around, think about when you are facing those odds or facing bad weather conditions do you want to just want to finish the practice up and get in the clubhouse to get warm and cozy? Or do you think this is an opportunity for you to condition yourself to play at your best so that when it does happen, yeah, that's a really interesting question. And I, I would ask your to further in that uh, direction. So I used to talk to my dad about this a lot. My dad played college golf at Ole Miss and is still a really strong player. He's a plus one still to this day, but um, he used to tell me all the time that, wow. you know, that he loved to play in that stuff too. And the biggest reason because was because nobody else liked to. And so he felt like he always had that edge on people. And so I guess yeah. what can players do to, cause I used to do this sometimes I used to like soak my rain gloves and I would go hit balls with wet gloves out on the driving range. And it could be a sunny day or, you know, choose to go play in the rain or choose to go practice, um, you know, your short game, uh, and hit some tough wedge shots when it's, you know, soaking wet outside. Like, are those things that players can do to, I guess, practice and give themselves confidence so that when they are in that position in tournament play, they can lean on that experience? A hundred percent. You know, I, and this kind of goes back to the stress inoculation that I was talking before about, you know, how the seals operate. You know, the SEALs put them through them, you know, their training yeah. buds is just at another level of suck and misery, <laughs> right? But it's intentional to see how your mind and your body reacts in those situations. So when it comes to golf and, and, and the bad, I call it the bad weather mindset. Um, and, and I work with my athletes on, okay, what is your bad weather mindset? Um, but it comes down to being intentional, like we've been talking about. Um, you know, have, when is the last time you've ever said, wow, the, the weather report, is looking bad tomorrow. And first I should probably put a disclaimer (laughs) out there. Like Matt, I'm not talking about going out in lightning storms and, you know, like from a safety perspective, I'm talking when it's not ideal golf conditions. Have you ever said, I'm going to go out and work on my game. Um, And I will tell you if um, it like 99% of people out there, when you see cold, wet and rainy, you have conditioned yourself to think that that is, I I don't like that. I'm uncomfortable. And I want to have this end as soon as possible. If you are that 1% that looks at that condition and conditions yourself and plays in those situations, um, I will tell you the next time in a tournament when there's going to be some bad weather, you have conditioned your subconscious to say, 
to look forward to that event as opposed to the opposite, which is what most people do. And I think that that is no kidding. You know, that could be several strokes on the field that, you know, all you all you're doing is changing is your mindset. You're not, you know, getting right. 30 more yards off the tee or suddenly yep. having a yeah, well, and it's, You know, we were talking about you're approaching and, and your the, the audience is listening to me talk about my you know physical training program that I'm doing right now. And you and I were talking about it. But, uh, you know, the whole the whole premise mm-hmm. behind it is to choose the hard things. And I think that if golfers are out there and they're doing exactly what you're talking about, you're making the conscious decision to go practice when it's, you know, not the best conditions, you're conditioning yourself that way. Um, when you're choosing those hard things constantly, and then you put yourself into competition and the conditions aren't as hard as what you've been playing and practicing in, it becomes easier. Yeah. hundred percent, a hundred percent. You said something that kind of triggered something else in me. And this uh, sort of kind of goes back to some of the McGregor stuff, but it, it definitely deals with choice and intention, intentionality. One of the things that I have my golfers do, and, and what we're talking about is like, it sounds, um, you know, overcoming this adversity, whether it's bad weather, these things, mm. but it's also when you stumble and you make the wrong decisions. And so one of the things I work on with my athletes is um, I, I'm, I love goal setting and I love talking to, about my athletes about what their goals are. And once they determine what their big, I call it the big, hairy, yeah. audacious goal for those fans of Jim Collins out there from his book, Good to Great, that he sure. wrote about businesses. You know, he has this phrase called the big, hairy, audacious goal. And I like to describe it as like, what's that thing that when you wake up in the morning, man, like you're ready to sacrifice during that day for that, you know, that big, hairy, audacious goal that, you know, yep. just thinking about achieving it gets you kind of pumped and excited and ready and, and motivated. And so once you have that, and let's just say, you know, for the, for the junior golfers out there, uh, let's just say that might be something like sure. uh, getting a D1 scholarship, you know, to an SEC program, let's say. And so what I have them do is I say, okay, take that, you know, take your goal and turn it into an affirmation. And this goes back to like your Conor McGregor, tell them to put it into the present tense and to say, I want to be a SEC golfer. The affirmation would be, I am an SEC golfer. And you might be like, well, wait a second. That sounds funny. That kid's in high school. Why would they be (laughs) walking around saying that they're an SEC golfer? But it's a mindset. And so the next question, which this is how the affirmation can lead to action, is to say things like, okay, so what would an SEC golfer do in situation X? Um, And that might be, you know, a workout routine that might be a diet that might be how to respond after a three putt, all those things. But this is where, um, you know, this is where it comes full circle is that let's say you stumble and let's say you, you know, you do break that putter over your, uh, over your knee after a three putt. Well, then if you ask yourself that same question again, I am an sec golfer. What would an sec golfer do in this situation? those answers become very clear to you. Right. And yeah. so the answer is to like, get back on the horse and to, and to, and to proceed. It's not to wallow in your mistake and derail. And you, you, I'm sure, you know, talking about your, your power 75, you know, I'm sure you've had days where you might've stumbled, you might've, you know, stumbled in your, in your nutrition, but it's, it's giving that intentionality back to the player and saying, 
okay, this is not who I am, who I am. It's a reminder. And how do I act? Yep. Yep. I love that. It's almost like it's okay to talk it, but if you're going to talk it, you've got to walk it also. Right. Yeah. And we all, you know, we're all, we're not perfect beings um, sure. and, and you're going to stumble. But what most people do is when they stumble, they just snowball and catastrophically collapse and they kind of give up on their diet or whatever it is. Whereas, right. you know, the most resilient people are going to make that intentional choice to say, okay, I screwed up. I'm going to park it. But what, you know, what is my goal? What do I, what, what do I want to be? Who do I am and how do I act? And they, and they get after it. Yep. Yep. For sure. Um, well, I want to move towards wrapping up, but I think that, I think we could touch on parents a little bit because, uh, you know, I think it's important because there's a lot of parents that are listening to this podcast. So, I mean, obviously you've given a lot of t- great information today to, you know, the junior golfers and, you know, how players can, you know, get better and work on their mental game and a lot of different things to focus on there as a parent. Um, and I'm not one, but you know, what can parents do just to be, better supporters from the mental side of the game for their young golfers? Yeah, great topic. Um, I, I think the most important things is, um, and this, again, sounds a little bit cliche, but I'll, I'll put a little more meat on the bone in a second, you know, is to provide that unconditional love and support for the athlete. One of the things I do with all my athletes is I do, have them do an intake survey where I ask them, where does pressure come from for you? And, you know, popular answers include, well, I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, sometimes it's pressure applied by a coach, uh, but oftentimes it's um, for my junior golfers. It can be pressure applied by a, a parent or parents. And okay. one of the things that I, I recommend um, where I where I see a lot. And this is something that everyone in the audience can do that has kids is to have a conversation, a real conversation with your kid about you know, the pressure that the parent puts on them. And so I think this all comes down to communication uh, because I think both parties, the parent and the kid want the same thing in this scenario, both of, you know, both the parent and the kid love each other. Like that should not be uh, an issue. But the second thing is that both the parent and the kid want that child to maximize their potential in the game of golf and also in life. But in this specific golf scenario, it's about golf. And Mm -hmm. If there's not that open communication, meaning like, hey, mom and dad, um, you know, I love you guys. I love when you come watch me play. But you know what? Uh, I, I can sense and see that when I triple, you know, bogey and I, I three putt on a hole, you know, you take your hat off and you throw it against your leg, you know, yeah. and, and just having that conversation. And oftentimes, Matt, I will say that the parents are probably not even as conscious and aware of the pressure that they're putting on their own kid. And it, right. it's counterproductive to what the goals of the parent is, which is to maximize their, uh, you know, their potential. And, you know, your audience w- very well knows how expensive the game of golf is and instruction and all those sorts of things. So sure. I would tell you, you know, you know, um, you're, you're hurting yourself if you are part of the pressure problem with your child. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, to your point that. Sometimes it's not even a conscious thing, right? But I think the the idea is to to try to make it conscious, to be consciously aware of, you know, what your reactions are as a parent, you know, if you're out there following along. I know that um, I, I've talked with some different people about this topic, and there's an example of 
uh, one of the coaches I was actually talking to where not in a malicious way, but just more so for like a coach, coaching moment or a teaching moment and more so communication. Like you're saying, um, he actually just kind of casually like videotaped um, the dad as he was, you know, going around and watching his kid play and some of the reactions and stuff like that. Cause they had been talking about that in conversations already. Mm -hmm. And they sat down afterwards and said, Hey, you know, he said it was a super uncomfortable conversation for me. He said, but I really wanted to help this family. I really wanted to help this kid grow. And he said, it was just something I had to do. And he said, so I just sat down with the parent and I had this conversation with them and I showed them the video and the dad had no idea that he was even reacting that way and was super embarrassed about it. Like he said, God, I would never want to make my kid feel that way or have them see me act that way. But it was just a subconscious reaction. So going forward, they were just more intentional about, you know, how do they react in those different situations? No, If it wasn't incentive enough for parents to understand that the role they play in the pressure of their child and how they can be, you know, as you mentioned, unintentionally inhibiting performance. I will tell you in talking to division one college coaches um, and I'm sure coaches at all ranks, you know, they are also watching parents, uh, you know, at these tournaments as well. And For so, sure. you know, if a kid can have all the talent in the world, but if they see red flags in the dynamics between the kid and the parent and, you know, uh, trouble ahead if they bring that person onto their team, that could hurt their chances of going to particular schools. Yeah, um, hundred like that's tangible proof that um, you could also be hurting your child. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, it's been a really good conversation. I know there's so much more that we could unpack around this topic and really drill down into some different areas. Um, so maybe we need to jump back on and do another one of these at some point, but um, I've had a lot of fun talking with you. I really appreciate it. Um, one of the things that I do to wrap up is just toss the, the baton back to you as the uh, guest and ask you to fire a question or two back at me just about, you know, it can be junior golf. It can be um, just golf in general or, you know, any topics, anything that sparked, your interest in our conversation that, you know, I might be able to answer for the group as well. Yeah. I mean, we talked a a little bit about how um, your audience is really unique in the sense that it has both parents, it has coaches and it has players. So I think the one question that I would throw out to everybody is what are the topics or the mental skills uh, that you find are the most important that haven't been discussed on this episode you know, to see like I would, I'm always interested in finding out where the gaps are. Um, yeah. And even though I work with teams and, and, and players, um, this is a special audience because it's kind of hyper focused on junior golf. So I'd be interested in hearing what are the challenges, the mental skills, obstacles and challenges that uh, that athletes at the junior level are facing that we haven't discussed in this session. Yeah, that's that's a great one. Um, so, yeah, if you guys could, if you guys could think about that. And then, you know, as we post this uh, episode out on some different platforms, just engage, um, you know, on social media and share some of those questions. Or you can, you know, email me at juniorgolfkeys at gmail.com. Yeah, that would be something that, you know, we could maybe take and pull from that audience feedback and, you know, build another conversation around that for the future. Yeah. And and Matt, I I imagine you'll probably put this on the uh, on the show notes. But people, if you want to get in contact with me. Uh, either Twitter, Instagram, or my website. It's topmentalgame.com, uh, all, all, all different platforms. And I would love to engage and, and hear more from your audience. 
Awesome. Well, Brian, I really appreciate your time today, man. It's been a blast. Yeah. And uh, I look forward to doing it again. Matt, this is so awesome. I really appreciate the opportunity and, uh, and thanks again. Yes, sir. Absolutely. All right. Take care, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up episode 48 of Junior Golf Keys with our guest this week, retired Lieutenant Colonel Brian Price, the founder of Top Mental Game. Uh, thanks, Brian, for your time. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your expertise. And thank you to all of you that tuned in. I uh, hope you took away some value from this episode. Like I always ask, if you did take away some value from this episode, please share it. Please leave a review. Also, make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss out on some of the exciting guests that we've got coming up. And I hope you join me next week for another episode of Junior Golf Keys.